0: everybody mike griffith here welcome to tonight's ingles on the beat and uh man do we got a lot to talk about georgia held its first scrimmage on saturday it was a closed scrimmage with a few hundred people there a lot of the donors were brought in as well as the friends and family of the players that's pretty typical uh for georgia scrimmage uh and i don't think a lot of people were very impressed frankly and i don't think kirby smart was impressed either in fact he said he wasn't impressed. Now, he, there were some things he liked. You know, there were a couple players he singled out. And if you read today's stock report, stock report is one of my very favorite items that I write uh, for the DogNation.com page. Because it's my chance to tell you whose stock is going up, uh, whose stock is even, or whose stock is going down. And, and I try to be more positive than negative Um, just as a general rule, I know fans kind of like it, you know, tell me, tell me like it is, they say, and it's easier to do that. I think on podcasts and radio interviews, when you write it though, people like cut that stuff out and put it in, you know, like on their desk, you know, I'll give you a a funny story. I think I can tell this story now, at least I hope I, I'm going to tell it anyway, you know, when Brock Vandegrift signed with Georgia, I was skeptical because he came from a 1A school. And I thought, how in the world is this guy from a 1A private school going to translate to a major championship Division one program? That was how I thought. And I knew that Brock would be overwhelmed with the playbook when he first came in, because everybody is. Every freshman is. There's a lot of people nationally right now that are having followed oh, Justin It's like, no, you don't understand. The guy you're seeing right now is not the guy that got here as a freshman. That guy didn't know the playbook. Just like Brock Vandegrift didn't know the playbook when he first arrived. But I said I thought he would be overwhelmed with the playbook. And I said by the athleticism. Well, that's where I was wrong. And any of you that saw the spring game saw how authoritative Brock Vandegrift was. Now, he didn't know the playbook yet. But what Brock did, man, he did really well. And that, that arm was like you know, thunder and lightning. I mean, boom. And I said, whoa, all right, this guy, I don't care what level he played at, this guy can adjust and did adjust. Now he's still learning the playbook. He's still getting learning to get through. Again, like any true freshman, it takes time. But my point is this, I said that, and, and I talked with Brock's dad, who coaches Prince Avenue Creston. He said, I, I just got to tell you, Mike, I heard you say that, and I remember, and I said, oh, great, you know, and, and, and I get it. When I talk about players, I'm talking about them as, not as people, but I'm talking about them as, as, as just players, you know, running backs and wide receivers and quarterbacks. I don't see names and families and backgrounds, and yet we know when we're critical of players that they do take that personal. It's not men as a personal attack. It's meant as a professional uh, criticism, right? I mean, you're, you're providing a, an analysis, and everybody can't just be great, right? I mean, it's not recruiting and recruiting. This guy's the greatest, and that guy's the greatest, and they're all great. And oh, he's a three star, but he's underrated, and he's a five star, and you know, he's the best ever. You know, it's it, that's not real life, okay? In recruiting, it is. In recruiting, you you emphasize what everybody does well. When guys go to the NFL. All you hear about is what they don't do well. And in college, it's kind of a mix, right? In college, it's sometimes it's all about the attributes, and sometimes it's about the you know the things that they don't do well. And, and that's kind of how I try to do it. Something else that I try to do, and, and I want to make this clear because tonight we're gonna talk a lot about Georgia football and that they didn't look good, and we're gonna provide some critical analysis of what's wrong with Georgia football. So let me give you this as just somewhat of a qualifier. When I evaluate Georgia football, I'm evaluating Georgia as a championship level program. In other words, the grade that I would give Georgia right now is an A minus or a B plus. That's better than 90% of the programs in the country. But because we know how high Kirby's raised the bar, an A minus doesn't beat Clemson or Alabama. Or win a championship. You better have an A minimum, an A plus to win it all. So when I provide critical analysis, just consider that that's on that grading scale. Now, if this was a 500 program, oh my gosh, we'd be doing backflips about, oh, they were great here and great. That's not Georgia, okay? That's not the standard anymore. Kirby raised the bar so high that if they're not excellent across the board, we're talking about it. Okay. So, I want to get that out there because sometimes, you know, I'll be critical and I don't think people realize that I'm grading on a very high scale. I've covered two undefeated programs in my career. It doesn't happen very much. 1993 Auburn, 1998 Tennessee. I covered a Michigan State team that lost one game in 2012. They should or excuse me, 2013. They should have been undefeated. They got robbed at Notre Dame. There was five pass interference penalties. They were phantom calls. It was what it was. That that was a great Michigan State football team that won the Rose Bowl that year. Probably would have beat Florida State and Auburn had there been a 14 playoff because their quarterback was healthy, unlike when they played Alabama a couple years later. I digress. What I'm saying is it's hard to have a perfect season. you got to be good across the board, and you've got to be lucky. Like I said, Michigan State wasn't lucky at Notre Dame. They didn't get the break. They didn't get the call. They're not going to get the call in, in South Bend. You know, Auburn got lucky. They went 11-0. I can think of a couple games they easily could have lost. One in the swamp. Got a 96-yard interception return before halftime. Uh, Excuse me. Actually, that was at Auburn that year. They had the 96-yard interception return before halftime. Tennessee, everybody knows the fumble-stumble. We think back to Georgia. Even had Georgia won the 2017 national title, they got thumped in the regular season by Auburn. And they were the best team in the country. Georgia was the best team in the country that season. Alabama hit the big play late. So I wanna put all those qualifiers out there. So when I start talking and critiquing Georgia, I I want people to keep that in mind that I'm grading on a championship scale. So the scrimmage did not go ideal. And the reason why is the team is exhausted. Right now, I I would be critical of Kirby Smart for going too hard, for going too hard. There were seven or eight days of lead in with no days off. Heat index over 100. Listen, Kirby's going to push these guys. That's his job. He's going to get them built up. He's going to get them. There's a very fine line between pushing too hard and not pushing hard enough. And I thought about that because, you know, the Tennessee team I covered in 2016 that beat Georgia, that ranked in the top 10, the last time Tennessee was in the top 10, Butch Jones team, 5-0 start. I don't think people would say Butch wasn't hard enough. Right. So you had guys like Kamara and Jalen Hurts and and uh, they had a receiver that transferred uh, Preston Williams, a five star transferred out. Uh, Jalen Reeves may have been an NFL guy. Some guys wearing green non-contact jerseys and there's nothing wrong with them. You know, too soft on the team. I think Kirby went a little too hard. And I think he saw that. I think it was an exhausted, tired, dead legged team. And I've talked to 10 people that were there and they all say the same thing. And it's not surprising because I've been hearing leading up that, man, Kirby is going hard on these guys. I mean, really, really hard. I don't think people realize just how hard Georgia goes. I really don't. I had a thread exchange with a, you know, it, it, and a lot of you have, I know most of you all, you know, we comment with one another. We'll send messages and and, hey, I appreciate you guys coming in here, and I like that back and forth. It makes it easy for me to have – anyway, this this was a guy, and I don't want to say his name, but somebody that I'm familiar with on social media that, that follows our Dog Nation team regularly. And he was talking about maybe they needed more padded practices. Maybe they weren't going hard enough. And, and I said, look, let me just tell you how this is. They're going harder than ever, okay? We all like to look back and go, boy, when I played – we had double sessions and it was so hard. Yeah, well, when we played, we didn't show up till August, right? And we worked our way into shape. We like to pretend and remember that we were going full, We weren't going full go right out of the gate. Okay, we didn't wear pads first practice. We didn't hit all these. Pra- it didn't happen. People get this, you know, convenient memory, and the reality is these guys here at Georgia have been busting it since June 1st. And when I say busting it, I mean working hard, okay? These workouts are no joke. Scott Sinclair workouts are no joke. They push these guys in the conditioning. They push them in the weight room. And then these guys go back and push themselves even more beyond what the the coaches can oversee because they're all desperate to win a title because they're all great players. That's why they're at Georgia because they're all trying to get a leg up on the next guy. George is doing a great job with the training table and the training facility and the state-of-the-art room. But these kids, they just push and push and push, and Kirby pushes and pushes and pushes, and it's a good thing that scrimmage wasn't the Clemson. Now, Kirby knows that. Kirby knows that. He knows that this is the peak of exhaustion. Georgia football will never look worse than it did at that scrimmage Saturday. He pushes and pushes, and he sees who can handle the adversity and who rises. But I think he saw collectively that that was an exhausted team. It was an exhausted team. And unfortunately, right now it's an injured team. And Georgia needed Sunday Day of Rest. All right? We've been doing Kenny and Kendall. We didn't do a Sunday night show. Those guys were exhausted last week. Okay? They couldn't do it. And we're going to try to do it next Sunday. We're working on it. I'll have more details for you of that later. But uh, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton, um, two of your favorite players, uh, both having good camp. Zamir's having good camp. James having good camp. Uh, Dejan Edwards, the running back room is solid. Least of my concerns, probably. Uh, not the case on the offensive line. Let's dive into it now. Warren Erickson, the Warren Erickson injury. Uh, the hand injury we've now heard that he's got a gonna wear a cast on his left hand, he snaps with his left hand. Kirby said he may try to snap with his right hand or he may try to snap with a cast. I don't think he's gonna, I, I, I don't know that he'll snap at all against Clemson. I just, this is not good. There's no way to work around it. This hurts Georgia. This is gonna hurt Georgia's chances to beat Clemson. You can't find a silver lining. You can't tell me there's any good out of it. It's nothing but bad. It's a bad half a step back before the Clemson game that Warren Erickson's not going to be 100%. Okay, that's not good. Because not only does it mess with that position, but it messes with JT. JT doesn't need to be having flashbacks to that year at Southern Cal when he had the inconsistent center play. Georgia fans don't want to have flashbacks to the Arkansas game last year when Trey Hill couldn't snap the ball to Dwan Mathis. And and it rattled Dwan, who was making his first start. And and you were trailing Arkansas at halftime. That was horrible. Uh, You don't want to have flashbacks to when Trey Hill got on by Javon Kinlaw and South Carolina upset you because your center play was poor. And it it disrupted the timing. uh, And Georgia wasn't able to run the ball that game either. So this isn't good. Now, the question is, can Cedric Van Pran who was the number one center recruit two years ago. One of these guys we heard, so good, so good, so good. Okay, it's year two. Is he ready to play? And if so, then why is Jamari Salyer also getting reps there? Because that takes Jamari out of left tackle. Now you start to see the problems that we're talking about here. Not only do you lose Warren but or or see a a less than 100% Warren, but now you're talking about taking your best left tackle option and having to play him at center, Because maybe Van Pran's not ready, okay? But maybe he is. Maybe he is, and maybe Jamari stays out there. We'll see. But the fact that they're still rotating, and I said this a couple of times on radio this morning. You know, I do the Athens, the ref show at 8, and then I do Atlanta, uh, 92.9, at 8.30, 8.20. And I said this on both of these shows. Matt Luke, you get paid a lot of money. You got to make a decision here, man. You, you, you know, and Kirby said everybody talks about continuity, but he wants to build depth. OK, we'll build depth after Clemson. OK, because you can beat UAB and whatever other directional and in South Carolina, you can beat those teams uh, moving guys around on your line. You ain't going to be Clemson unless you're locked in. Let's just be real. So I think it's time to lock in. I think they will lock in. I don't think I'm telling these coaches anything they don't already know. I think Matt Luke is a great offensive line coach. I think Kirby Smart is a great head coach. But as I sit here, I tell you, I think Georgia needs to get some continuity. And Kirby addressed it, and, and I really liked Kirby's press conference. If you get a chance to watch it, thought he was really good. Thought he was really thoughtful, philosophical, uh, under control, and had some very interesting things. And you can learn a lot. And, and you know, one of the values of me covering football for, man, I guess we're we're going on uh, thirty years, right? is listening to coaches over the years and you kind of see it and you hear it enough times, you kind of get a feel for it. And if this offensive line can just settle down, just settle in, man, you got all these five-stars, just plug them in and let's go. Uh, some other guys to talk about. Broderick Jones. I think Broderick Jones at left tackle could ultimately, he could ultimately be the left tackle. We're going to wait and see. Amaris Mims is now working at right tackle. So this was a little bit of a surprise for me because I thought Mims might be the next left tackle up. But now I'm hearing Broderick Jones. So I'm not, I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I guess we'll have to wait until the next scrimmage. That's neat. You hear a lot about Tate Rattledge at guard. That's legit. We know Justin Schaefer came back to play guard. If they do solve left tackle with a Broderick Jones or Mims, And Jamari moves inside, who gets moved out? Rattledge or Schaefer, I don't know. Tons of competition, that's the takeaway. Tons of competition on the offensive line. Okay, so you're probably wondering why I haven't brought up Eric Gilbert yet. And the reason why is, I'm not saying it's not a big story, it is. It's a big story because we talked up Eric Gilbert all off season. We had visions of Eric Gilbert stepping into the X and taking over that position for George Pickens, okay? Well, it wasn't happening, all right? It wasn't happening. Uh, Marcus Jack jackson and Adonai Mitchell were were killing it at that spot. And Eric Gilbert, again, like any new guy, was learning the position, okay? So I want to ask you guys to take yourself out of the video game mentality. I want, you know, I love my Monday night show because I've got a lot of really smart football people in here. Sometimes I bring in other guests and you like that, but there's some people out there that that have a video game mind. And they just think you just plug a guy in and he's ready to go. Or is the guy back from an injury? Okay, he's 100%. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. There's different levels of ready right we saw that with jt last year technically he was cleared but he wasn't ready okay eric gilbert technically was cleared but he wasn't ready to play the x because so much of this todd munkin offense is is spacing and timing and reading and munkin is all over these guys for precision and i mean precision i mean one foot or two feet If you're off one foot or two foot off, you might as well be off a mile in Munkins book. All right. This guy's a pro. And he recognizes that you got to be at a razor's edge if you want to win against that guy covering you. If you want to be in sync with your quarterback, we're talking about finely tuned details here. All right. And you can't expect a new guy to come in and just be ready to plug and play. And Eric was not close to that. So the fact that he is taking this time off for personal reasons, it's not as big of a deal as I think a lot of people might think it would be, particularly in the early season. I don't think Eric Gilbert was going to be ready to do a whole lot against Clemson. I'm not going to say that he wasn't going to start. Who knows? He might even be back before then. But what I am telling you is that the X is in good hands with Rosemary Jack Saint and Adonai Mitchell. So the people on the outside who don't cover the program every day, the national media, they all feast on that headline without realizing, not as big a deal as you thought, okay? Because there's two other guys that, quite frankly, were ahead of him in the early part of the fall practices. And and Rosamie Jack St. came very highly advertised, if you remember, from St. Thomas Aquinas. And Marcus was breaking through when Florida broke his ankle. I mean, he was really starting to come on. We were starting to see, you know, he's known as this precise route runner and he's known for these strong hands. And we were starting to see that. The play he played, got injured on, touchdown. They were up 14 to zero on Florida. Uh, Stetson got injured on the same play. If those two guys don't get down, all right, I don't know. So in Adani Mitchell, now I doubted Adani Mitchell in the spring. I said, look at that. This guy had 13 targets. And he only caught seven balls. Well, I continue to hear that this kid is a flyer. And you go back and you look at what JT Daniels said about Adani Mitchell. And and JT says nice things about all his teammates. But he said a lot of nice things about it. And Mitchell was out there in California, right? So I think you're good at the X. All right. So let's put the Eric Gilbert talk to bed for now. Personal issue, let him work him out. Let him work it out. The head coach has addressed it, and now the kid has to deal with it, whatever personal issue qualifies as. And I'm not here to dig and speculate on that, all right? That's not my job right now. That's not my job right now. You know, there's no legal, there's no police report, you know, there's nothing like that out there, okay? We're talking personal issues, so we leave it to personal issues. Right, because at some point when you're a reporter, you got to recognize, you know, uh, how, how, dig, how deep do you really dig into someone's personal life, into their medical, gosh, this shirt just keeps coming, into their medical background, right, or, or their personal life or whatever it is. You just, at what point do you know? So to me, Coach Smart addressed it, Kirby addressed it, all right, moving on, all right. Now, my bigger concern in the receiving corps is Jermaine Burton. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about Jermaine Burton, and, and I may be way wrong. Now, Terrence Edwards is a tremendous an analyst that's coached this guy up and he said wonderful things, and Jermaine had 197 yards in one game. But if you look at the other games, he didn't do much. I don't know if he went 60 yards. I don't know if he had more than 60 yards receiving it, and he's, and he's getting hurt a lot. I mean, last year, Kirby talked about it, a lot of struggles, offsides lined up wrong goes the wrong direction we saw a lot of warts from jermaine burton last year and we all said after the mississippi state game this is the guy and then he missed some bowl practices i think with covid related issues and he, he didn't he wasn't himself in that game either so you're thinking well in the spring will be well then he, he he hurts himself with a hyperextended knee in the spring and now we're in fall and, and he hasn't practiced yet because of his knee. so is this just a lot of bad luck Or is this going to be par for the course with Jermaine Burton? Can he stay healthy? That is a question. It's not as easy as you think, right? That's a dynamic position that requires dynamic movements, uh, big time cuts and change of direction, a lot of leaping and body control and a lot of falling. And the question for me now is, can Jermaine Burton stay healthy and be a consistent contributor? If the answer is yes, then he may be a 1,000-yard receiver because he's that talented. But I don't know that yet. And right now, and Centel said this last Thursday, and I made fun of him at the time. Now I'm eating my words. Centel's comment was, the best ability is availability, right? Well, I'm going to apply that to Jermaine Burton. Behind Jermaine Burton, you had Justin Robinson. I like Justin a lot. He's a big play guy. You Remember, he was at the X in the, in the spring. Now he's over there at the Z. That's important because Demetrius Robertson left. And let me say this. Let me say this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to get this little critical thing out of my system because I – did you see the Florida-Georgia game was being replayed the other day? I happened to cross – a couple things jumped out at me because I didn't watch much of it. I turned it on and Stokes had just did a pick six on Trask. And, man, was Eric Stokes special. Wow. First thing was, man, they're going to miss that guy. First thing was, oh, my gosh, Stokes was so good. They're gonna miss him. And I'm looking, at Georgia's winning 21-14 with 12 minutes left in the second quarter. How in the you know what do you give up 24 points in 12 minutes to Florida? I mean, you're up 21-14. There's 12 minutes left in the second quarter. By halftime, Florida had 38. What? Because the offense was going three and out. They couldn't run the ball that game. Anyway, I turned it off and I, I anyway. I turned it back on. Third quarter. Dwayne Mathis under center. Goes deep. Demetrius Robertson is wide wide open and and his arms go out like you know it's like not this it's like this and it's like it's a touchdown if anybody where is the catch he didn't have a catch radius sorry to say it I know people love Demetrius Robertson five-star Notre Dame drove the equipment to his house I don't think he's gonna make it in the NFL I don't think he's good enough I hope he does well I hope I'm wrong, but him going to Auburn was a good move because I don't think he would have been even second string at Georgia. That catch could have been. You're back within seven if he makes it. That's a play you got to make, man. It is what it is, all right? So, I, like I said, I had to get that little moment because I forgot. Dwan put it out there. You know, everybody piles on Dwan Mathis right now, but Dwan put that ball where it needed to be, and that receiver didn't run under it. And if that receiver runs under it and Georgia's back within seven, I think it's a different game because they, they were almost back within seven in the fourth quarter when Mark Webb dropped the pick six. So many plays, as bad as Georgia played, as many guys as they were missing, still could have, would have, should. All right, had to get it out of the system, had to get it out of the way. Let's get back to talking about this year's team. Let me hit the reset button. Okay. So we were talking about receiver injuries. Karis Jackson is your starting slot. Uh, Had arthroscopic knee surgery. I think they're being careful with him. I think he could go. Kirby knows what kind of worker Kieras is. Kieras is one of these guys that he's a lunch pail guy. He's a 110 guy. He's always going to be where he's supposed to be. Um, You know, you just you can't say enough for Kieras. He gets uh, 11 out of 10 on his abilities. I think he's a borderline NFL guy. I think he needs a big season, and I think he could get drafted. And I think he'll continue to improve because he's one of the hardest working guys in the receiver room. That's why he's the leader of that room right now. Uh, We still haven't heard anything on Don Blaylock. You you really got to wonder when, when, and again, I'm not pushing because last time, remember last year, but he's a fast healer. He's a fast healer. He came back. He wasn't a fast healer. Hurt the knee again. So you got to be careful now. Been about a year and that's okay. Sometimes it can take longer. I think they're going to be very careful not to rush down Blaylock back. We also know Pickens is out. Uh, Kirby tells us that that John Fitzpatrick is out. You know, Fitzpatrick may not be the most exciting tight end. Okay, let's just say it. He's not the most exciting tight end, but he's a six foot seven target, and and he's one of these tight ends that can do it all. He can run the routes, he can catch it, he can block. Uh, you, you need John Fitzpatrick. He's an NFL tight end. All right. He is an NFL tight end. The other two guys are special. Right, Darnell Washington, special. Brock Bowers, special. All right. These are guys that might be on your fantasy football team someday. No offense fits, but you're never going to be on a fantasy football team. Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, those are those guys. Those guys can do some special things. So while the receiving core to me is a little shaky again. OK, it's a little shaky right now because Burton's out. Um, it's a little shaky, not a lot of experience coming back. Okay. You have had a whole off season with JT and that's big because JT will make these guys look good. He'll throw them open. He'll find the open guy. He'll find the right matchup. He'll give the receivers every opportunity to look good. Uh, he'll maximize them like a good point guard, but the tight ends, I think, I think they're special, right? Running backs you know, the deeper we get, the more I think James Cook is going to be a little bit more one-dimensional, I thought. Just not a guy that really excels between the tackles. So let's not even waste time. Now, I know that when you put him in there, you don't want it to be a dead giveaway, that it's not a run. So you'll see an occasional draw with him, perhaps. I think you'll see him run some jet sweeps. But Cook, to me, is primarily a guy to play in space. There's just better options between the tackles. And if you remember last year and even the year before, James has gotten banged up when he's gone between. It's not his thing. Just not. He's not his older brother. And, and not many people are, by the way. That's one of the top three running backs in the NFL. He's a very good piece to the puzzle. Uh, he's a weapon. He's a guy that can do things in space. He's a guy with great speed, but uh, not a between-the-tackles guy. Kenny McIntosh, I think, is versatile. All right? Kenny's got his fans on the team. A lot of people like Kenny. Uh, I, I think he's special. I like the change of direction. I like the vision. I like the cutback. I think he's got enough power. I think he can be your every down back. Um, Milton and Zeus, a little bit more between the tackles. Uh, Let that competition continue. Uh, The moose, as I call Kendall Milton, uh, because he just looks, Kendall looks so unassuming. And I've even mentioned it to his dad, Chris. I I just like the moose. He just, you know, and if you read about a moose, they're pretty friendly creatures until you get them upset. And then they could just run over anybody and anything and and run away and that's Kendall cuz you have you, seen him on the show he just seems like a nice easygoing guy but on the field man he puts those antlers down and he's something else so so you got Zeus and Moose all right? that's what i think you got there two powerful guys and again Del McGee you know he's got juggling these these four running back uh you know trying to and and Dejon Edwards i think a lot of a lot of this kid's upside you know i think you're going to see him progress as the year goes on and evolve more so really like the running back room um feel good about that uh we've covered a lot of ground here so far uh let's see what else we got let me let me look at some of your questions uh on a critique news uh yakubo simba no good news here he says well no you might have missed the introduction right we're talking about a team that's trying to go undefeated all right we're talking about a team that has very little margin for error if they're going to win the opening game. I do think it's an advantage to Clemson to play in Charlotte. Not not a huge advantage, not a Jacksonville advantage, but a little bit of an advantage because they play there every year in the ACC championship game. That little bit of familiarity, you know, I think the crowd is split. You know, these neutral site games are just, they're just so lukewarm. They're nothing like playing in somebody else's stadium. The noise level isn't the same. Kirby's talked about it. The student section's not the same, it's 50-50. You don't have the same buildup before the game. Jacksonville, Charlotte, just neutral site is neutral site. Uh, but the fact that, Cle- that Clemson has some familiarity, uh, I think helps them a little bit. I do think there'll be more Georgia fans there, probably a little more Georgia noise, um, but I think Clemson's familiarity helps them out. Okay, just a just a, just a smidgen. Um, and I think familiarity is is an important facet. You know, when we become familiar with things, and comfortable with things, we know what to expect. I'm going to tell you what, uh, one of the great things about Ingalls is that we know what to expect from Ingalls. Every time we go in there, doesn't matter the time, doesn't matter the day, and as we found out, it didn't matter even during a global pandemic. We still got the same quality, service, and dedication from Ingalls. I want to take a moment right now and recognize our sponsor, Ingalls. In our hearts to feel for you. There's been no ups and downs, turn around, some good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. strong. Ingles, really appreciate Ingles, really appreciate the sponsorship of the Monday Night on the Beach show. Really appreciate you guys being here. You know, before I take questions and and, and engage because I see the comments flying in and it's a lively audience tonight, that's good. There's a lot to talk about. The opening game is less than three weeks away. I think we're all getting ready. Um, Gotta say this for our guy Richard LeCount. How about Richie LeCount? You know, when Richard had that motorcycle accident on Halloween night, it, it, was, it, it could have been a career. It could have been a life under. It was life-threatening. I mean, the guy was rushed to the hospital. He was unconscious on the scene. It was bad. It was a bad scene. There was nothing good about it. And when Richard played, he played one snap, and he was out for the season. And then when he wanted to run for the scouts, you know, he's running a high 4-7 number, almost a 4-8. You're going, man, I don't know if this guy can get back. That's three-tenths off. Richard LeCount was having an all-American season, okay? He was the best player on the Georgia defense when he went down. What did he have, 13, 14 tackles against Kentucky? Like, to get forced a fumble? He was – man, Richard was so far out in front. I still remember hearing the story about when JT Daniels first started scrimmaging with the team, and he thought he was throwing a ball away, and LeCount comes out of nowhere. And when Richie breaks on a ball – he, he is so cap quick. It was so impressive. And I just thought when he had that injury, I thought, oh, man, this is this is so sad because this is the most popular guy on the team. This is a team captain. Uh, you know, Florida doesn't beat you if LeCount plays. He's not getting beat on wheel routes. You know, he's coming up and run support. It's so important to the team in so many ways. Uh, and to see the highlights of what he did with the Cleveland Browns, I mean, it was just – It was so awesome. Richard had a sack. He had two pass deflections, and he had an interception. And and he looked like himself. And the Cleveland Browns, man, they got a steal. They got Richard LeCount in the fifth round. Let me tell you, that that guy is a borderline first-round talent. Absolute steal for the Cleveland Browns. You watch. Richard LeCount is going to turn into one of those salty veterans that hangs around a long time going to be one of those team captains. He's going to run that dog pound in Cleveland. Really excited for Erica LeCount. You saw her on one of these Monday night shows with Allie Daniels. I don't know if you guys remember the show we did with Richard LeCount's mom and JT Daniels' mom. And they talked about how their sons had dealt with adversity. And how great is it to see Richard LeCount get off to that start for the Cleveland. And and JT Daniels now doing his thing. Right. I mean, this these are the stories, the human interest stories. These are the things we root for. They don't always happen when players get injured, when guys are in accidents. The the odds are against them. The odds aren't for you when you get in a motorcycle accident and you're unconscious and have to go to the hospital. The odds go against you becoming an NFL player. The odds go against you making it as a big time college football player when you tear your ACL and have to transfer schools. That's not a good thing. The fact that JT and LeCount are doing what they're doing, that's fantastic. How about this? How about Jake Fromm? Jake Fromm last year spent all of last year as an emergency COVID quarterback. He wasn't even with the team. He was separated from the team because of COVID. You know, in light of the fact one of these guys on the team gets COVID, you got to have somebody that's not around him, so you got a quarterback, right? So Jake didn't play last year. You know, a lot of people say barely hung on. He might be barely hanging on right now. Jake Fromm might get cut tomorrow. Now, the Bills have already cut five guys, and they're going to have to cut three more to get down to 85. And then there's going to be another cut day and another cut day and another cut day. And I don't know if Jake, Jake makes it. They got this guy, I think Davis Webb, that a lot of people think is going to be the number three. and And maybe he will. But Jake goes in there, and I saw the throw he made on fourth down. Leads the Bills down the field, sets up the game-winning field goal. Not bad for a guy that hasn't played since the Baylor game, right, after everything he's been through. And uh, his coach talked about the poise. That's what Jake Fromm's all about. That's why we drafted him. Uh, so great performance for Jake Fromm. I know a lot of Georgia fans are, are really excited for Jake and happy for Jake. Um, you know, I, I think Jake probably, in hindsight, Shoulda, coulda, come back for his senior year, but he didn't. And so now he's in Buffalo. We knew that was going to be a tough situation. Jake's not a guy that's played well in bad weather. He doesn't really fit the offense. The Bills just liked him a lot. If he gets cut, does somebody else pick him up? I don't know. But I know this. When Jake Fromm had his opportunity, he went out there and he won that football game for his team. So that says a lot about George's former quarterback, three-year starter. You look on the all-time list and Jake's right there. Lowest interception percentage, high completion percentage. His numbers compare favorably to Matt Stafford's. That doesn't mean he's going to be Matt Stafford. You know, you go back and look at guys in college, and it doesn't always translate to the NFL. Tom Brady didn't start till his senior year. Brian Greasy was playing ahead of him. Lloyd Carr's a Hall of Fame coach. Does that mean Lloyd Carr's crazy? No, it just means that Brian Greasy was playing better than Tom Brady at that stage of their college careers. That happens right and you guys that watch football a lot know that some people that don't you know again one of the things about social media you don't have to be qualified to have an opinion on social media right you don't even have to use your real name so you see all sorts of bizarre things and you learn real quick if somebody doesn't use their real name you probably shouldn't take them too serious now that's different on monday night because i take everybody serious so i'm going to look at some of your questions And if there's a topic that you want to talk about that I missed, I'll gladly bring it up. So uh, what do we got here in the comments section tonight? If you've got a question, um, where are we at? A prediction from Wesley Spruce that Kenny McIntosh has a huge day receiving against the Clemson linebackers. You know, Kenny's going to be running back kicks. I think James Cook is going to get the first look on that seniority. So I think Cook's going to be out there. Not saying Kenny won't have a huge day, um, but I would be inclined to say James Cook will be the leading receiver out of the backfield against Clemson. I could be wrong. Uh, next question. What are our chances in Charlotte? Uh, you know, I felt a lot better about him last week before I found out that Erickson was going to have a cast on his hand. This That Erickson injury... The unsettled nature of the offensive line. Jermaine Burton still being out. This is this is pulling me back down to, to, to this even thing again, okay? Because you need Jermaine Burton to be great. Jermaine Burton is, is I think, your your top upside receiver. Now, those tight ends are special, but Burton gives you something special over there at the Z. Uh, I, I think he's a tremendous playmaker. The fact that he's, like I said, he's been a little injury prone. Uh, it's still early. But the fact that he's been a little injury prone, uh, the fact that your offensive line is a little unsettled, you know, Jalen Kimber, uh, not sure what's happening with him. Kirby mentioned his injury. Uh, you know, that that's a projected starter. That's the guy that was going to start opposite of Darian Kendrick. You may need to play Keely Ringo sooner than you wanted um, or not. I don't know, but uh, I, I'm starting to think that game is going to be closer than, than I would have thought last week. That's what I would have thought um yeah that's good steve uh i haven't talked to paul lately uh exchanged emails with him this week uh yeah paul is very bullish on georgia this year uh it's always good i think paul's a, a, an expert of course he does his show on the sec network uh enjoy making my appearances on that uh, hopefully have some news there for this upcoming season uh we see that uh barry watkins predicts a big game for Darnell Washington. Uh, Darnell is a guy that it's 6'7", 280, can make the contested catch, can run away with you. Uh, but here's the thing. And Munkin said this at his press conference last Thursday. And and I really liked it. And, and, and it's something to pay attention to. When people were talking about how do you get the ball to so many different weapons, he said, you know, that's up to the defense, Okay. And translation, whoever the open guy is, whoever has the favorable matchup, that's who's getting the football. Uh, uh, JT is going to find that matchup and that open guy on every play. So to an extent, the defense dictates what you're gonna do on offense, right? By the way they line up, by the pressure that they bring, by the coverage that they're in. You got that quarterback, as I said, JT's at the line, flying the jet. He's got his hand on all the controls, protections, route adjustments, cadence, audible to run, pass. And he makes all those decisions in a matter of seconds when he breaks the huddle. Think about how much information the JT Daniels is processing. Not just the play, not just the complexity of the play and the five different routes being the run by different people and where everybody is going to be at each second and each timing. That's why that snap so important that timing, knowing where everybody's going to be, when they're going to break, being able to anticipate. JT has that computer brain where he's able to analyze his players and the defense, and based on the defense. That's why I said when people think these freshmen, you can't evaluate a guy's freshman year. I I don't care who the freshman is. They're not even close to being ready to fly the jet. Now, if they play in a simplified offense, that's different. But when you're playing in a pro-style offense like Georgia plays – there is a lot going on man there's a lot going on with the play there's a lot going on with all the different adjustments the protections the route adjustments the check downs the audibles plus reading the defense and then once the ball snapped, having that timing and that that awareness i mean it, it is like a jet fighter jet fighter pilot almost that three-dimensional thinking to know where everybody and everything at is at in every sequence and then having the arm talent to make the throw and anticipate. That's why quarterback is such a difficult position and, and why guys go through levels of learning, right? A guy his sophomore year is not the same guy he was his freshman year, is not the same guy as a junior, first year in the NFL, second year in the NFL, third year, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's an evolution and you combine the physical attributes with the football IQ and the timing and then the arm talent and then the mobility to stretch out play. It's pretty fascinating when you think about it. Uh, what else do we got here? Will Kirby have a specific package for Carson and Brock? Uh, Barry Watkins. Here's here's the thing you need to ask yourself. Do you want to take JT Daniels off the field? Why do you want to take JT Daniels off the field? You, you really don't, okay? Unless you're doing something like Florida did with Tim Tebow near the goal line. We've got like a wildcat kind of quarterback. And while Beck has some mobility – and brock is probably even more i would say even more almost a little bit of a runner you you don't want to just throw those guys out there they're not that dynamic running the ball to have a package you would much rather have a quarterback a fourth year quarterback like jt that can spread the ball that can read the defenses that can audible and get you in the right play than someone running the ball that maybe isn't an ideal runner you got derrick henry back there in in the wildcat uh, OK, that's one thing. But but that's not Carson and Brock. So I'm not saying that they're not going to get an opportunity, but I, I don't know why you would ever want to take your starting quarterback off the field. Um, I, I not in a game like this. Uh, does Brock take quarterback, too? I mean, again, I don't know the answer to that question. You know, right now, the focus is on QB one. Uh, Brock obviously has a whole year under his belt in this offense. So he has a big advantage. Or excuse me, Carson has a big advantage over Brock right now. Will Brock eventually overtake him? I don't know. That's not what this season is about. The season is about getting your number one ready and having your number two ready. All right? I almost feel like Brock and Carson will compete again during the bowl season. And, And, you know, Brock in the meantime goes down. Maybe he runs scout. Maybe he runs third team. I don't know. But there's not as many reps to be had. There's only so many reps to go around. Now, if Brock starts to show great improvement or Carson drops off, but I think Munkin pretty much set the table that going into the year, Carson's going to be the two. Uh, Stetson Bennett, third string. Uh, you know, probably in terms of reps, I would say, but that doesn't necessarily mean there wouldn't be a situation where he might not be used in the game. I know Munkin likes the mobility. He's got the game reps. Um, you know, I, I don't know how Carson would do – You stick him in there and he doesn't have a good series and you're trailing. Do you keep him in there? Do you go with a more experienced guy if you're leading and you put him in there and he looks nervous? Or do you go with Stetson if you're leading? I mean, there's a lot of things that will probably be going through Munkin's mind. But, you know, it shouldn't matter. You're going to play JT Daniels 95% of the time um, if you're smart. Because JT, as we talked about, these receivers, they don't have a lot of experience with JT, right? Kiaris Jackson. But JT played four games here last year. Karis Jackson, Jermaine Burton. Who else has experience with JT? Fitzpatrick? None of these other guys. Donnie Mitchell doesn't. Uh, Arian Smith really doesn't. Uh, Marcus Rosemi jack Saint really doesn't. He was injured in Florida. Marcus Rosemi jack Saint hasn't played a game with JT yet. He might be the starting X. Darnell Washington? Not much. Brock Bowers hasn't played a game. So everybody's so excited to get to the second and third team quarterback Just stop and think about it. You better have your number one down, right? You better have your number one timing down. That's the most important thing when you're trying to win a championship. Now, there's going to come a time when you pull JT out, um, you know, because you don't want to get him injured. But JT needs as many reps as he can get. That's why you saw him throw 38 passes in the G-Day game. Uh, Hub says Jackson's number dropped off after Stetson was benched. Well, Stetson was injured. But – Uh, He dropped off because Stetson didn't push the ball downfield as much. And Karras was in the slot, and he caught those passes underneath more. So it had more to do with the route tree and the plays that JT was running than it did anything Karis Jackson was doing any differently. Uh, We do not have a big-time playmaker yet. Well, I mean, Burton had 197 yards receiving in a game. I mean, that's pretty big. And and I think Kendall Milton and, and Kenny McIntosh and James Cook uh, you know, Zamir had a big run last year. I, I don't know that I wouldn't say you don't have a big play. I think on the perimeter, though, and I've said this, and, and people, you know, get irate, but it's just the truth. You don't have a receiving car like Alabama's. You don't have a receiving car like Ellis, You don't have a Jefferson, right? You don't have four first-round draft picks in your receiving core. But JT is a really good quarterback, and I think you have a really good receiving core. Not great. I don't know if there's a hall. I don't know if there's a Hall of Famer in the group. I don't know that there's a first team LCC receiver in the group. I, I think there's a first team LC tight end, maybe two. But as far as the receivers go, they're good, but not great. But they're good enough. They're good enough. Your quarterback is going to make them much better. Uh, what other questions? What championship momentum are you talking about? Trey says. Well uh george brings back a lot george brings back uh, uh seven or eight starters on the defense from a team that led the nation in run defense and you know jt daniels had the highest quarterback rating from november 21st on of any returning quarterback in the country um, the offensive line is loaded with five-star talent and if you take a look around the league georgia really sets up as, as a favorite in the east without a doubt but when alabama loses six first round picks And their offensive coordinator you know this isn't looking like the best tied team now because of nick saban's ability to reload and how he's adjusted before with coaches he gets the benefit of the doubt and alabama's the number one pick oklahoma ohio state clemson they all get picked ahead of georgia because they're in weak conferences right if you put georgia in the big 12 and oklahoma in the sec then georgia would be ranked higher put Georgia in the Big Ten and Ohio State in the SEC, then Georgia would be ranked higher. Put Georgia in ACC, and you get my drift here. So these rankings really reflect more for some people where they expect teams to finish than how good they are right now. Oklahoma hasn't won a college football playoff game yet. All right, they're 0-4. They keep getting sent there by default almost and they keep losing. They keep losing and they've lost bad, all right? Um, so when I talk about championship momentum, I talk about a team that, that has the personnel and the coaching acumen and the schedule. I mean, Georgia's got a favorable schedule this year. And the Clemson game, notwithstanding, and that's really kind of a good test. You kind of get exposed. You kind of find out where you're really good, where you're really bad. And then you kind of adjust. And they have a very forgiving schedule. I know some people keep bringing up UAB, but I just – I don't see it. That's not a team that can stay with Georgia in the trenches to pose much of a threat. What other questions do we have? I, who hates Florida more? Nature Gator says. I, I don't know if you know this, but I started the Steve Spurrier Award a couple of weeks ago uh, with the football writers. I don't hate Florida. I, I like Florida. Uh, Georgia should play in the swamp. That's a great venue. That's one of the top five venues in the country. Uh, it's unique. It's loud. It's fun. Um, to me, five times better than Jackson. It's not that Jacksonville's bad. It's just like a bowl game. You know, I like going into big time college football environments. Not Bowl games are bowl games. The Gator Bowls in Jacksonville, the Sugar Bowls in New Orleans. I when, when some of the best games I've covered were at the Swamp, whether it was Auburn playing Florida, Tennessee playing Florida, uh, Alabama playing Florida. There, there's been some exciting football games at the Swamp, and it's just to me, it's one of the top five venues in the country. And so is Sanford Stadium. Sanford is so picturesque, and it's a comfortable stadium. You know, the open-ended end zone and sanford you know just drive down and you just look out and people are walking down the street and uh, just it's it's just so welcoming athens is just such a a friendly uh place the town is fantastic the food uh you know they rely on these games for their commerce uh you know so i know i don't i don't hate florida at all that's a that's a misnomer uh I, the, the days of spurrier should be celebrated that's why i worked with chris Doring to start the spurrier coaching award and And I'm going to bring Coach Spurrier on one of these nights, on this show, and uh, gosh only knows what's going to happen. Um, You know, as as nice as Georgia fans are, some of them aren't big fans of Coach Spurrier And uh, because when he won, as Coach Rick said, he didn't mind sharing his thoughts with you. But uh, he was a great coach. Uh, To me, he set a standard there. I like the way Spurrier won. Um, I I guess that's why when Mullen says eight wins is a good season at at Florida – I, I don't, I, you know, I don't buy it. I, it's not and Florida fans know that and they don't need a Georgia guy telling them that uh, last year. I said, Kyle Trask wasn't going to win the Heisman. People got upset. Okay. I said, I had him fourth or fifth on my Heisman and he finished, I don't know, fourth. Right. Um, sorry. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to you know, try to cater to the masses and say, everybody's great. It, you must be new to the show. If you think that's who I am, because that's not who I am. Uh, what other questions do we have tonight? Now you don't need to rotate. Here's what will happen. When Georgia moves their home game back to Athens, Florida will probably keep their home game in Jacksonville, Um, similar to what Alabama did when Coach Dye, who, by the way, Pat Dye is in the Jacksonville Hall of Fame and said it was crazy for Georgia to be playing a game in Jacksonville. He's a big proponent of home and home. When Coach Dye was at Auburn, he got the Iron Bowl in Birmingham, moved to a home and home to Auburn. And Alabama stayed stubborn and kept playing the game in Birmingham for a while until they realized how much money they would make and how much more their fans would enjoy the game if it was on the Alabama campus. And they've eventually gone to home and home. It's still the biggest rivalry in the country. In my book, I think it's the best rivalry in the country. Michigan and Ohio State's kind of tapered down. Obviously, Ohio State's dominating that. Um, but that that didn't affect that rivalry one bit, not one bit. And, and I was fortunate enough uh, to see a game, uh, Iron Bowl, in um In Birmingham, and and much better on campuses, much better. Uh, Chaz Chambliss, does he play or not? I I don't know. You know, we're getting into the depth chart now. We're getting into the second and the third teamers. And and Dan Lanning and Glenn Schumann do a great job of rotating those linebackers. Um, I don't know what they're ready for because I'm not privy to the practices. And we don't get to talk to the assistant coaches. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know. I know that on the Kendall and Kenny show, they both said that Chaz Chambliss was one of the hardest workers on the team. Uh, What do we got here? Any other questions for tonight? Everybody doing good? Uh, Nolan Smith peaked last year, too small. Nick Beef says, you know, I I don't know, Nick. I I think you're really wrong there. You know, he was playing behind Aziz Ajilari, who led the league in sacks. And 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 I think he was splitting reps with Jermaine Johnson, who – I think, is a first or a second round draft pick now at Florida State. We're going to find out about Nolan Smith this year as a pass rusher, as a football player. I was told he had a pretty good scrimmage. I've been told he looked pretty good in camp. Uh, Nolan Smith, Adam Anderson, Trayvon Walker, these are guys that I think can go get the quarterback. And I think you're going to see more out of them. So I'm not ready to say anybody's peaked. Certainly not Nolan Smith. He'll have his opportunity this year before we judge him. Uh, What else do we got here? Thoughts on Kirby and Todd Munkin actually have a powerful audience. Yeah, they're going to have a great offense. Uh, It's really Munkin and Kirby's turned them loose. Uh, Todd has a quarterback that can run his offense. Uh, JT can distribute the ball. When you've got a quarterback that can run the playbook, you're much better than if you've got an athletic quarterback that can only do a few different things because you have more answers. Football is a game of answers and adjustments. You do this, that team does that, that team does that, you do this, that team does that, you adjust again. All right. If you have a limited playbook and you do this and they stop it, you do this and they stop, you do this and they stop it, we're down to the trick plays, right? That's why you go with the more experienced quarterback that can get you into get you into the playbook. Now, I kind of equate it to a basketball point guard. It's if you've got a basketball point guard that can shoot the three and and, and score 35 Allen Iverson. If you got that great, but some of the best point guards were guys like John Stockton, right? The guys that had the ability to distribute the ball to the playmakers. And that's what JT is. He's a point guard and he's a guy who can make the amazing pass and the right pass every time with very few turnovers. That's a great quarterback. Now there's some quarterbacks that are also great playmakers, but they're few and far between. And when those guys get slowed down, a sore leg, a tough hit, they're not the same guy anymore. And when you take that away, what are you left with? Maybe half your playbook. So there's a lot to be said for quarterbacks, you know, like like Jake Fromm used to say, and I thought I had him on this. I remember going to the combine and saying to Jake, Jake, what do you say to these people that say you can't get out of trouble because you don't have mobility? Jake's answer was I get out of trouble before I get in trouble at the line of scrimmage, he makes the read, he makes the check down, or he audibles, uh, provided they get the play in on time. There were some times uh, in the first year that of the previous offensive coordinator where the play came in late and Jake didn't have a chance to change it. So that happens. Uh, what else do we got here? Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Yes, JT has the ability to change the game in one play, I see, I would agree with that. Pushes the ball downfield. How many catches will Justin Robinson get? You know, again, impossible to predict. Um, A couple things there. Opportunity. You know, how much is Jermaine Burton in the game? Um, How much is Justin in on a rotation basis? And then what does the defense do when he's in there? Because like Todd Munkin said, and like I've been saying for a long time, when we're talking about a pro-style spread offense with air raid principles, okay, and the air raid principles – the, the key phrase is error, okay? Receivers run to air; They run to space. Quarterbacks know which receiver is going to be in space and get the ball to the open guy. That's how that works. So when I said earlier, defenses dictate who's going to be open, it's by how they play. I mean, if they're bracketing, if they're playing, if they're double covering a guy, probably not throwing to him. You're going to find the guy with single coverage who's got the favorable matchup. Or maybe you see that you know, wow, we've got them overloaded over here. I'm, you know, this route, this route, this route. When I when I send Cook out of the backfield, they, they don't have enough guys to be there. JT sees and, and figures all that out. Listen, again, you got to understand when you got a guy like a JT Daniels, uh, you know, that can fly the jet at the line. It, it's just a game changer. It's just a game changer. Stetson was trying last year. He was coming along quickly. But this year is going to be different. So, yeah, I do think that this is going to be uh, a dynamic offense. And I do think uh, that uh, Kirby Smart's turning them loose. You sure are high on JT Daniels, Rick Martin says, who played a weak schedule. Wow. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, Missouri was playing pretty good football when Georgia played him. Uh, it was under 30 degrees pretty sure he threw four touchdown passes, three or four touchdown passes in the three touchdowns and no interceptions in that game. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw the Mississippi state game, but they made Georgia one dimensional He threw for over 400 yards and four touchdowns in his first start in almost a year and a half. Uh, uh, South Carolina wasn't very good, but JT didn't run up big numbers. Uh, they ran the ball the whole fourth quarter. His numbers could have been stupid crazy if Kirby would have left him in the game to, to throw the ball around, uh, Cincinnati, I, I saw him, you know, take the team down the field on a last minute drive with no timeouts. Um, as I said, Burton, uh, you know, wasn't himself. Uh, I think McIntosh had three catches. Uh, you know, JT played some pretty good teams when he was at Southern Cali, put up more than 300 yards passing on Texas, more than 300 yards passing uh, on a Notre Dame team that was undefeated in the regular season. You know, JT is not a guy that that's had trouble against great competition. I mean, This was what the number three quarterback in the nation coming out uh, when he graduated a year early. If he hadn't graduated a year early, he'd have been the number one guy in his class. So it's not like JT is some guy that just walked in off the street. I mean, this is a a prodigy guy. This is a guy that was identified, you know, won a national championship in high school. Uh, One of the I think the first um, he won the first unanimous national championship in high school since Valdosta did it like in 1986, Uh, sought after guy, you know, talented guy. All you got to do is watch him. It's not really, it's not numbers. Okay. I don't talk up JT. You can, you, you know, I use the metric about the highest rating and I could throw out there that he, you know, had 64% third down conversion against the SEC teams. Alabama led the nation at 59. When he came in there, he was good. And he was good despite not practicing with these guys all year. I think that's what people miss. You know, JT worked with the scout team all season. He had like one week to prepare with these receivers. And then he goes out there and throws for 400 yards. Now you've got a whole off season to work with. Maybe Rick Martin didn't see the spring game. He didn't see how JT commanded the huddle and was able to check down. I think Georgia's got a pretty good defense, right? So I think JT Daniels is a a really good quarterback. Uh, I think he's got some good weapons, and I think he runs a great offense that really fits his skill set. So, yeah, I'm pretty high on him. I don't think I'm the only one. Um, last time I saw the Heisman Trophy odds, was, he was fifth. Not that doesn't mean anything, because a lot of people were high. Pro Football Focus uh, had Jamie Newman as the number three guy in the nation. And he couldn't even get on the field at Georgia. So, uh, I do think that JT is good, though, and I say that with as, as an educated opinion. Not just based on what he who he played, it was how he played. Right? It was it was how quick his release is. It was his ability to push the ball downfield, um, and in his acumen. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on JT. I, I guess I'd say that. But that's why, that's why, uh, and, and his knee is better this year. He he has you know more mobility there. So, you know, he's got his critics, and and obviously um you know everybody has their critics right believe it or not this is going to shock you i have my critics too yeah i know i know hard to believe they're out there though uh michael carvel is one of them my producer he's one of my toughest critics he sure is uh hey listen uh give me a follow on twitter at mike griffith 32 need to get those twitter followers up going into the season and um and if you have questions You can like direct message me on Twitter. I was I was William Perry and I were messaging the other day. Um, Different guys messaged me at different times. Hey, and if I got a typo in the second paragraph of my story, you can let me know that too because I certainly don't bat a thousand. Um, Have a lot of fun with it. I sure hope you guys have a great week. It's there's going to be more news tomorrow. There's going to be player availability for Georgia. We're going to get a chance to talk to some players. Who do we think? Who do we guess? that Kirby Smart will send out there tomorrow. All right, here's my prediction. Jamari Salyer is going to come out tomorrow and talk. Um, let's see. Jamari Salyer and Nolan Smith. No, no, no. Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker, Jamari Salyer. We're going to get a receiver. Which receiver are we going to get? Could we maybe get Marcus Jack jackson for the first time? Maybe. Uh, And then there's going to be one more. One more defensive guy. Who will Kirby send out tomorrow? We've already seen Louis Christopher Smith. So that's my pick. I'm going to write it down. Christopher Smith, uh, Trayvon Walker, Jamari Saylor, and Marcus Jack jackson That's my prediction for who Kirby sends out tomorrow. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. We will find out. We will find out. Tomorrow night, Connor Riley. Connor in coverage. Wednesday night, Jeff Santel and the, his dog Peaches and all the great recruiting news. Thursday night, cover four. Pretty exciting stuff. And every day, Brandon Adams on Dog Nation Daily. Uh, oh, there's a good guest. Somebody just said Jake Shimada. Love it. Could be Kamara. could, you might be right, Cisco. We will see. Uh, We will see. So thanks for joining me tonight. It's been a fun show, a fun wrap. Uh, Tried not to pull any punches. Tried to keep it pretty real. I want to thank my sponsor, Ingalls. I want to thank my toughest critic out there, Michael Carvel. also a great producer on Monday nights. Michael keeps me in line. And uh, and I want to thank you. Thank you for joining me and giving me the feedback. Let's uh, let's keep the ball rolling. See what kind of season Georgia football is going to have. Uh, everybody have a great week.